Welcome to a new episode of the Oh My Career Goodness podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Islam, and this is the last episode of the Oh My Career Goodness podcast, at least for the month of January. Um, I know I stuttered there because I was like, wait, is this really the last episode? But no, it's just the last episode of January. But I've really had a great time these past four weeks uh, talking to all the guests that have been on this podcast. And I just want to thank everyone again for being supportive and listening to this podcast. I'm looking forward to more episodes in the future, not just next month, but hopefully for next week, but next month, next year, and so forth. And I know that this podcast is going to continue to grow. So I'm very excited and I'm looking forward to February February already. Well, I'm looking forward to this week's episode, but I'm also looking forward to February as well. And there's um, going to be more details about who the guests are on the social media page, which you can follow. And we're only on Instagram. So feel free to check that out. And we'll, we will uh, at some point release all the guests for the month of February. So keep that in mind. My guest this week is Sophie Barron, who is the founder and CEO of The Conversationalist. It's a nonpartisan educational platform that's founded to empower and unite people through conversations. What makes this interesting is that having conversations is very difficult. Don't get me wrong, but also it's difficult when you're having when you're having a conversation with someone who's different from you, who might hold different different opinions or different beliefs. And that's what Sophie is trying to uh, go toward or understand more is that how do we try to have these conversations with people who have different opinions? And and I'll tell you what, in the world that we live in today, that is very difficult to have. The moment we have something that's different from others, we immediately get shunned, judged. I don't even know if shunned is a word, but judged, ridiculed or whatever. And I know that's very common in politics, but it can happen in really just any subject as well. So I'm very excited that Sophie said yes to this podcast. And I'm going, I'm really looking forward to a great conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Sophie Barron and let's do this. Sophie Barron, welcome to the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast. Hamza. This has been such a long time coming. Thank you for having me. I, I can't wait for our conversation. Oh my gosh. No, you know what's funny? I was talking to you about, I was talking to my friend about you the other day and I was like freaking out and I was like, I don't know what kind of person I'm getting. Like I'm worried she's going to give me a one or two word answer kind of person. And then my friend goes, okay, let me tell you something, Hamza. Um, anytime someone calls their organization the conversationalist, um, there's a very good chance you're not meeting anyone giving a one or two word answer and it's and it's and I know that might sound offensive, but like as someone who goes to college at Ohio State, I meet people all the time who I'm just like, can I have a conversation with you? And they just give me one or two word answers. So I'm like, I don't know if that's something you deal with. Like I find that to be the most annoying thing on the planet. Oh, I think we've all been there. Can you imagine if I was like incredibly socially awkward and introverted? Like that would just not be on brand at all. So Hamza, you're going to have to stop me. I may talk too much. Oh my gosh. No, I prefer if people talk too much rather than too little. So anytime I meet someone like that, it's it's awesome. But before we talk about conversationalists, because that's something that you are obviously known for, I want to start by talking about the type of person that you are known for other than the conversationalist. And that's being a unifier. You are someone that uh, feels like you were brought into this earth to unify people. 
And I know that this is a process. It's not something that you are a hundred percent mastered it. I know it's something that you're going to continue going forward, but I'd love to know how you're able to do it with the, with all that you've done so far, because I think a lot of people love, want to unify the world, but then oftentimes once like that deferring opinion comes, it's like, okay, back to the vision. So I'd love to know how you're able to do that so far. Oh man. And thank you for seeing me. Like I totally am a unifier. So I so appreciate you saying that. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I have figured it out. It's such a long game. And I think for me, I don't know if you feel this way, Hamza, but like our generation is definitely trained to think about instant gratification. Like we want the results, the answers. We want it now. Our attention span is what? Seven seconds. But on your for you page on TikTok, it's like three. So (laughs) I have a hard time visualizing the future when I'm not seeing the results right now. And I think unifying in practice is that long game. Like it's not something that can happen overnight in a single interaction or even a single conversation. So I think for me, it's the the secret to that has been being open and honest about it and saying, hey, we can talk about unity. We can talk about the process of unifying, but it may not happen for years down the road, but giving people something to hang their hat on, I think is the key. And to me, it's thinking of a conversation as the first bridge to getting there, but also a seed planted, right? If we plant a seed today, we may not see it grow into whatever it will become for years down the road, but we know we planted it. And I think that's sometimes what we need to wrap our head around that we may not see what unification truly looks like until maybe our kids are grown up or their kids. But what we can do now is trust the process if that's even possible. And know that what you're doing now by talking to and engaging with people who can open your mind is helping to pave that path. You are someone that obviously wants to go there and wants to go places and unify people. You have gone to different college campuses around the world. Obviously, you've done many conferences. And just the three or four minutes, just like seeing, like having this conversation, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm talking to Sophie Barron. But... (laughs) Oftentimes, I can't believe I'm talking to you, Hamza. Like, I'm just so grateful to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, One of the greatest battles we have is oftentimes not just with others, but with ourselves. And, you know, you grew up, you and I have different ways of growing up. Because as someone who is Muslim, I grew up with people who were like me. And as someone who's South Asian, I grew up with South Asians who are like me. And for you, someone who's Jewish, you were the only Jewish kid growing up in your community and that's one of the hardest things because I feel like in today's world and especially I struggle with it sometimes in college where it's like you have your identity but then you're like I'm also wanting to fit in and that's such a like it's it's a sad thing to go through because you're not able to find people who are like you and I I just want to know like because oftentimes I'm like I should not have this issue but then I think of you and it's like you went through a much worse issue in in terms of trying to fit in so like, how are you able to survive those, those few years or those years where you're like, I'm the only one, but then while also balancing, like I have to, I might have to be someone I'm not because of the fact that I just want to fit in. Cause that's the world we live in. I feel like today. It is. And in so many ways, I'm so jealous of the fact that you grew up around people who were like you, who shared your religion and shared your identity. And I also don't think you can compare 
our situations, right? It's like comparing apples to oranges. I think for me, what I went through helped me realize that at the end of the day, belonging isn't about being just in a group of people who are like you. Belonging actually means when you're able to stand firmly in who you are in a group of people who are different from you. And I can't take credit for that. I I have to shout out Brene Brown, who's an incredible, incredible public speaker, thought leader, um, entrepreneur, just expert on these issues. Um, but I think we we sometimes get that piece of belonging wrong, right? Like you you got it right. Like you you know I grew up in that environment. And for me, I thought the only way to belong was to conform and be like everyone else. But I think finally breaking out of my bubble in the Midwest, I followed the yellow brick road, if you will, to Penn for college. And once I got there, I think I finally was rec- I was reconciling my own identity as I was experiencing being around people who were so different and so similar to me for the first time in my life. And I think everyone has their own moment where they realize that they need to expand their worldview. I just think everyone's aha moment comes at different times, but it does make me sad because I think for so much of our childhoods, we're led to believe that we should just try to fit in. And I don't know, I hope that with what I'm doing with the conversationalists and the conversations even we're having today, we'll just start to normalize a culture of realizing that at the end of the day, every person has a unique voice. And until we acknowledge that and celebrate that, how are we ever going to come back to the same table? Because so much of what we talk about in our world today relies on people being different, right? We celebrate diversity. We want equity and inclusion, but I think sometimes we go about it the wrong way. Um, And I was just speaking to someone earlier today who created this term inversity, which means that we should celebrate what we have in common rather than what makes us different. And until today, I didn't have a word to describe it, but I think that's what's missing. And I think if we focused more on inversity and trying to bring us closer together, we would actually create that world where we can be ourselves and be surrounded by people who are different. You know, what's funny, when I, while you were talking, you mentioned following the yellow brick road. And I just want to mention, it's funny because you grew up in Wichita, I think you grew up in Wichita, Kansas. So it's like, I, <laughs> like that comedic, there's like that relationship. I love it. I love that you picked up on that because I didn't even mention Kansas, but I'm sure you get that. I mean, you're in the Midwest right now, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Columbus, Ohio. So yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Ohio, Midwest. We love it. Before, before we talk about the conversationalist, you are also you also founded another organization, Table Talk, which has spread across, I think, like more than 80 schools around the country. And you bring up something very important, which is to be able to have conversations with people who are different. And I'd love for you to kind of talk more about that, because in if, and I know when we talk about having difficult conversations, the first topic in mind com- is about politics. But instead of just politics itself, it's like you know, you want to be around people who are like you because it's easy. And yeah, I mean, if you're someone who's Jewish, you want to be around Jewish people. If you want to, if you're a Muslim, you want to be around Muslim people or people who are Muslim. But having people who are different from you, I, I don't know what it is, but it's maybe you can explain it better. But there's like it, it's I, I mean, the broader term would be it's much better, but it's like it allows you to open up perspectives in a way that you may have not have done if you were just able to talk to someone who was like you, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those like different perspectives. Absolutely. And 
here's what I'll say, Hamza, like a lot of what I'm doing and what you and I are building together through the conversationalist is trying to go against human nature. It is programmed in our DNA since the era of the cavemen to stay in groups of people who are like us. It's how we survived. It's how we found safety. It's how we got fire and food to eat. Like we are programmed to stay together with people who are like us. And I think it's it's harder sometimes to show people the value of coming together with people who are different when we are so comfortable. And it may be a simple answer, but I think people are just unwilling to get out of their comfort zones, right? It's hard to sell someone on something that actively makes them uncomfortable. And oftentimes having difficult conversations not only brings discomfort, but it can bring other things as well, right? The conversation could go wrong. You know, you could get into a fight. We're afraid of confrontation (laughs) as well as human beings. So sometimes it's a tough sell. And when I started Table Talk, I'm so glad you brought that up. I started to realize that when I wanted to change the culture at Penn, it was going to take a long time. Changing a culture does not happen overnight. And I needed to be okay with that. And if I just focused on what I could do that day with the North Star in mind of bringing people together and starting to break down the stigma around these topics, it, that's that's really what kept me sane. But it's all about collective action and that cumulative action that you can only establish day by day. Um, and so for Table Talk, it was really about seeing a problem I so desperately wanted to solve, which was that we were all huddled in groups of people who were like us, right? My Muslim friends who were in the Muslim Students Association on campus only wanted to hang out with other Muslim students. And same with me and the Jewish crowd. And same with my friends on my hall on the football team. Like everyone just wanted to stay in their groups, kind of like that scene in High School Musical, Stick to the Status Quo, yes. where everyone's like telling you, don't do it. Don't don't go to the other group. It's, it's almost like bread in society to, to make us think that it's a scary, uncomfortable thing. But I think when you're faced with it, you realize how connected we are and all we have to do is get back to what makes us human. And I think that's what we can establish in a conversation. I mean, Hamza, do you see that at Ohio state? Like are people clicky? Are they in groups of people who are like them? What does it look like on your campus? You know, it's interesting. I feel like in college, it's just, it's a mix. Like there are Muslims who uh, associate with other Muslims, which I understand. And then there are also situations where it's like, it's like people want to talk to someone who's different from them. And so, I mean, I guess like there, I understand like the reasonings, but like, like kind of like how you talked about how being out of your comfort zone, I think that's what kind of holds people back. And there's just so mm-hmm. many different like ways where people just don't want to be able to associate with someone different because of the fact that it's like, um, I don't know, cause they're different from me, but oftentimes, sure. cause I, I'm, I don't know if this is like, you mentioned this a bit one of the worst things I think of when having a conversation with someone is like what's the worst possible thing that I could say on accident that could offend someone so I'm very like like very like uh, I wouldn't say conservative like introverted in that aspect but it's like being able to talk to someone who's different I know that's hard but you know oftentimes leads to a greater reward it's just that people don't often see that so. Absolutely. I love that you said that. And honestly, I think we're all afraid of saying the wrong thing, right? But none of us are willing to say that either. So we <laughs> all go into conversation 
holding our tongues because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to say the wrong thing, but all of us are feeling that way. And I think it's a result of so many factors, cancel culture included, but you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a matter of introducing people to the reward in knowing that you may not have it right away. But for us, we've tried to include other incentives, right? Like when I started Table Talk, in order to sell people on the idea of coming together with people who are different, we promised free food. We promised, you know, free merch. We tried to bring in cool speakers. Like you have to start somewhere, right? And I think everyone can connect around some of those great social equalizers like food. And maybe you have to think about that risk reward situation, but what can you offer people now? And oftentimes that the, I guess everyone loves free food, right? So (laughs) that was a great entry point to show people the value of conversation when people I think were afraid to begin with. The conversationalist has one of the funniest, or I feel like one of the funniest and serious introductions to starting a business because I and the past two guests I've had, they were in a way influenced by the 2016 presidential election. Mm-hmm. And then I heard your story and you might have to verify it. This started because you were in a finance class where the professors said, you need to vote for this candidate and you left the classroom. First of all, seriousness aside, that's actually the funniest reason, one of the funniest reasons to excuse yourself out of a class. But secondly, joking, joking aside, I think that's where you realize when you're telling people that you need to vote for a certain candidate, there's two problems, I feel like. And you can obviously allude to this because this is something that really was the foundation for the conversationalist, which is when you I'm sure you meet people who have a different opinion than you that might vote differently for you. And so when they're being told that you need to vote for this person, then it's like, so then these, so all my friends that are voting for another candidate, like, what are they to them? Like, are they part of that cancel culture? Are they part of that? Well, you're, you're a bad person in society for being able to vote for this person and then, or voting for someone that the professor said no. But then the other issue is, I feel like that person, when you're trying to, I mean, everyone wants to unify the world and wants to bring a candidate that will feel like is the best person. And yeah, there are different reasons for why a person votes for whoever but when you tell someone that you need to vote for this person it's like you're not part of the solution you actually become part of the problem if that's like I feel like that's the best way of going about it but feel free to tell the whole story I mean you said it I and I I'll say it wasn't just that moment alone like there was a lot building that week like campus was very tense like leading up to the election no one wanted to talk to each other unless you were voting for Hillary. That was the culture on our campus. Um, And so I wanted to create an event through Table Talk that would allow people to actually talk to each other. So we partnered with every political student group on campus and we started a conversation around what brings you to the polls. Not who are you voting for, like what motivates you? What, What do you care about? And start that dialogue. And I thought the event went really well. So I was feeling optimistic that we could create this dialogue but then I wandered into this classroom and I think when, when my professor made that statement, I think I was just, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I think I finally just, I couldn't take it anymore that there were so many other people on campus that couldn't understand why we needed to talk to each other. 
And I don't know what came over me, but I stood up and I left. And from that moment on, I felt like, I mean, Hamza, I really feel like that was the first time I used my voice because I was someone who was so afraid to stand up for what I believed in. I just wanted to fit in. I still felt like my younger self carried with me through college. I just wanted to be liked and be accepted by everyone. But I ended up leaving class that day. I took pen to paper and I started writing almost like a manifesto, like why our generation needs to open our echo chamber. Um, And collectively, if we can break open our echo chambers, then we can at least start finding our way back to each other. And that, that ended up being published into the Huffington Post. And from that moment on, I felt like, wow, I can really stand behind my beliefs and I want to be the person advocating for this change. But I do want to note that Hamza, you said everyone wants to unify the world. And I think the sad reality that I've been faced with through starting The Conversationalist is that not everyone does want to unify the world, but that is okay, right? As much as I want to believe that we all want to come together and have conversations with people who are different, I just know that won't be true for everyone, but we have to commit to acknowledging that there are people who are different than us, because if we don't, we're living in some sort of alternative reality that is not true or based in fact. And I think if we don't acknowledge people who have different views, they're just going to continue to radicalize in echo chambers of people who only think like them. And again, what is the meaning of life if we can't if we can't find a way to communicate? So I'm glad you brought that up because I think it also illustrates maybe what I realized in that moment. Like, we have to find a way to come together, but you know what? Maybe not everyone is going to want to do that. And that's okay too. When I look at some of the things that you do, you are someone that wants to give a voice to those who may have a different opinion. And oftentimes that opinion is very, very unpopular. And I want to kind of in a way connect it to cancel culture because you are someone who has good intentions. You want to be able to bring people and talk about some of the most difficult issues on both sides, but it's also difficult because you have your views on certain issues. So two things, one, how often do you have to handle those situations where like if someone says something that you might disagree with, or oftentimes something that's like extremely disrespectful, how do you try to make sure that like your emotions don't get the best of you? And secondly, how do you try to have a conversation with someone or not just that, but like oftentimes people will be like, Sophie, you're giving a voice to this person. How dare you? And it's like cancel culture. So like these two battles are so difficult. How do you try to like, at the end of the day, survive those two, given how toxic these situations can be? Thank you for those two questions. Like I feel (laughs) so seen right now. Like you get me. Um, (laughs) Wow. Okay. Question number one. I really struggle to hold my tongue. But over the past four years since starting TC, I think I've gotten so good at giving space to other people because that's all I wanted to create a platform for other people to voice their opinions, no matter what they are, that I've actually in a way, and I don't think I've ever said this out loud. So, wow, thank you for creating the space for me to say this. I really think I've lost my voice in the process Meaning, of course, I'm a human being with thoughts and feelings and opinions, 
but I've gotten so damn good at compartmentalizing them that I no longer feel this like rush of emotion or rage or anger when I encounter someone's view who's different from my own. And I think that is also in part because I'm having so many of these conversations on screen. Like it's very public. My expressions are being recorded. And I've had to learn to like let one thought go in one ear and out the other um, without feeling so, so emotionally connected. And I honestly don't think I would advocate that for anyone. Um, So I'm currently navigating that at this moment in my life in 2023. Like, how can I still have my own voice and share my own opinions in all of this when I think I've gotten so used to only creating space for others? Um, So that's one side of the coin. And then I think the other one is that when I do encounter something that I just, like we've all heard a perspective where we're just like, come on, get out of here. There's no way you can believe that. I do have those moments and I still get red in the face. I still get (laughs) so frustrated. Um, But what I try to do And this is what I think has become a practice that I hope other people can adopt, which is I try to immediately insert myself into a courtroom. And this is going to sound silly, but I try to pretend I'm a judge, Mm. like in, in the best way. Like if there was someone sharing something in a courtroom, in a trial, instead of just immediately throwing the gavel down and deciding the verdict, what happens? You ask a bunch of questions to better understand the situation, the other actors and factors to understand what you should do. And so for me, I try to ask as many questions as possible so I can do everything in my power to understand that person before emotionally reacting. Because what I've realized, and again, I'm no expert, but I think what I've come to realize is that So many people have a viewpoint because of something very real that happened in their life, their environment, their upbringing that led them to where they are now. And because we have no control over what situation someone was born into, I think before casting any judgment on someone for their view, you better understand where it's coming from first, right? Because that's how we foster empathy. And I think once we have empathy, we can reach understanding. And when we truly understand why someone believes what they believe, we're Mm -hmm. much more capable of having dialogue as opposed to a debate or some fiery emotional response. And I think we know that those two options never get us the desired end result. So for me, that's been my secret is try to pretend I'm like a a judge in a courtroom and I'm not trying to immediately cast judgment on that person until I have all the facts and then try to have that dialogue to see where we go from here. So yeah, all you, that was my manifesto. (laughs) No, no, it was great. Um, I want to transition to something, uh, I guess, slightly different. Um, It's part of the conversationalist, but you also have a talk show called the POVs. I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> yeah, POVs. I mean, we're here in our studio in New York. Um, yeah, we have our talk show. And I have to say, I have watched every episode and I have to say one of the cool, yeah, I'm not kidding. Um, I may be a fan, but I think one of the most interesting things I love about your talk show is that firstly, it's in a couch. And so, you know, the conversation is going to go well. But secondly, and this is how you know you're, you you have a really good interview, is when you're talking to guests, um, 
when the guest is able to kind of think and reflect on like the questions you asked instead of being like, yeah, I know the answers to this question. It's like, oh, let me think about it. And you kind of are letting them be able to reflect on their life and their journey to how they became the person they are today. That's how you know you have a really good interview. And you seem like the chillest. You are having the time of your life. But kind of like we were discussing before we recorded, like there's a lot of anxiety as a host because you're like, you're hoping that the actual interview goes well or goes your way or how you expect it. Is that something that you also go through in your mind? Like I'm having the great this time of my life, but like, I hope this conversation is going well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so tricky because conversation is an art form, but when you're putting it on screen and you're recording it, there's an added pressure to make the conversation the best it can possibly be. So I think when I'm in the hosting seat, literally right here on the couch, uh, I'm constantly balancing competing factors, right? Like, am I asking the right question? Do I want to steer the car in this direction? It's like what you just did. You changed course. You asked me a different question. Like as a host, as you know, you're always thinking through what you can do to make the person feel heard and also showcase that you know how to navigate the dialogue in a way that they can trust you. And I think it's that interplay of trust that I I think is the most important piece of that dialogue, but there's a lot of added pressure to make sure that the conversation goes as planned. And I'm such a perfectionist. <laughs> so I have a hard time just being present and in the moment. So that's something I really want to work on this year. And we're pivoting a lot of our show, which I'm excited about um, to hopefully bring out more of that spontaneity and like authentic conversation and also so I can share more of my views because if you see in those episodes when I'm interviewing you know an interesting person or a thought leader or an, an influencer I I don't have my own voice in those conversations I feel like I'm just you know validating their thoughts and asking another question and that isn't a dialogue so I'm I'm excited to kind of bring the next iteration of POVs into the world um but absolutely, being a host is is hard because you sacrifice some piece of yourself in the process. <laughs> no, absolutely. And something that you are very passionate about, and the motto of my, like the thing I always tell people it's, is that it's not about the, the destination, it's about the journey. It's not about who a person is, it's about what a person is. And you are very passionate about vulnerability whether it's yourself or whether it's about guests. And I know that there have been a couple of guests that I've listened to when they've been opening up about their struggles. It, it can be, it can get emotional at times. And I would just love, and like, I feel like sometimes when we kind of open ourselves to the world as a human being, we often get ridiculed in the sense where it's like, oh, are we trying, like, like what do you hope that people try to understand you as a person? Like, why do we, why are you opening up in this way? Like, oh, are we raising a low bar? on you as a person like should we treat you in a certain way and it's like no you can treat me however you want hopefully good but like at the same time it's like I want you guys to see me that like I have a unique perspective on life and that I think people should understand it and whether you like it or not take it or leave it go ahead but this is this is my life and I would love for you I'd love to know about how I know everyone has their explanations, but like for you, what do you think people are missing when it comes to vulnerability and how do you think, and goes back to unifying, how do you look to tell, convince people that this is okay and that, you know, we can, we should all do this at some point in the future. 
What a question. Wow. 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 You just gave me one of those moments where I have no clue what the immediate answer is. I think vulnerability <laughs> is hard. It's really hard. And I think we're in this moment where vulnerability is being manufactured, right? So many people open up about traumatic things that have happened to them online, on Instagram or TikTok, because they know vulnerability equals social media engagement, right? Like I, I have, I've been reflecting on that a lot lately. Like, why do we share what we share? And I think my answer to your question lies in that, which is why? Like if you are sharing something and being vulnerable because you've decided to do it, if you feel really confident that the reason why you're doing it is to do something in service of others, I think that is the right reason to be vulnerable or in service of yourself. Meaning if this is something you've never talked about before that you want to get out into the open because you genuinely want to use your voice, incredible. But if you're doing that in in a way to gain some sort of I don't know, attention or to look like you're trying to sell a product. I I find manufactured vulnerability to be quite dangerous, but I think if we can align our intentions correctly and have a real reason for why we're vulnerable. And for me, a lot of that is a mix of the two. I have a lot of things I've never said out loud because I'm so goddamn afraid of speaking my mind for all the reasons we've talked about today. Sometimes I feel that it is cathartic for me to actually use my voice. And secondly, I really feel like there could be one person out there who could benefit from that so it doesn't happen to them. And that is what I find are my two reasons for being vulnerable. And I think if we can encourage more and more people to have a really good intention about why we want to share and open up and explore the parts of ourselves that we've never said out loud, I think that will create a culture where people are more likely to do it. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, like you asked, like, how do we encourage more people to do this so we can unify? I think it's all about just understanding that at the end of the day, every single person, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you look like, all we want at the end of the day is to be seen, heard, valued, and understood. And it took me so long to realize that it was really that simple. Like that, that is it. That is what people need. And that is what people want. And if we can give that gift to someone else, they're much more likely to give it to another person or write back to you. So I hope that in encouraging people to have these conversations where there's an opportunity for that vulnerability exchange, you're essentially giving someone that gift of being seen, heard, valued, or understood that hopefully will create that ripple effect because you'll leave that conversation feeling like you got what you needed and you want to go give that feeling to someone else. And I think if we can create that culture, then we'll be able to actually unify because everyone will go out and unify their own worlds. You you are someone that wants to see people as human beings, as we mentioned about the vulnerability. You want to be someone that wants to bring people together, obviously that uni the unifying aspect. I don't know how much you are involved when it comes to politics, but do you ever see yourself becoming the president of the United States at some point or think, thinking about running? I mean, I don't get me wrong. If you and I were on the debate stage and they would say, Hamza, do you have anything to say? I'll say, yes, I would like to publicly announce that I will drop my race and tell everyone to vote for Sophie Barron. Because I think, you know, like you said, like especially the unity aspect, 
I think that's what we need. And I think you might be the perfect person for that. Hamza. <laughs> Not me crying right now. Um, okay. Here's the thing. I don't know if you knew this about me, but my entire life growing up, I used to tell everyone around me when I was like a fiery toddler that I was going to be the first woman president of the United States. My parents' friends still say that to me, like, Sophie, whatever happened to you running for office? Um, and it's so interesting because nowadays when I think about that question, my gut immediately says no. And I just, I don't know. I just don't think politics are for me. I really believe that my my responsibility on this earth as a unifier is to help other people on more of a micro level, like individual people learn how to do that rather than necessarily being a voice for the masses. And as much as I am a believer that a unifier, essentially I'm a believer that the president of the United States is someone who is a unifier trying to bring people together, especially in our country. I will always support a candidate who stands for that. I just don't know if it will be me, but that is the nicest thing anyone has ever said. <laughs> and if you're planning on running for office, I will absolutely support you in that. Oh, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm honored, but I think we all know that you'd be the better president. Um, but I want to end this podcast by, I, I, I saw an Instagram post and I apologize I'm so, for stalking you, but I thought this was really powerful. And I think this really sums up everything that you said which is, or everything that you've been as a person, which is if anyone out there is making you feel less than, come to me. I'm here to listen, to tell you you're not alone and that I'll have a word with them. And I just wanna say, I am so glad to be able to have a person like you uh, not only join this podcast, but be also uh, to let me be a part of your community. And I am so looking forward to the day when someone says that your podcast is not good enough, that your voice is not good enough. And I'm like, all right, let me see what uh, Sophie Barron has to say about this. So um, I know you are a very busy person, but to be able to have set this podcast up was truly amazing. So thank you so much, Sophie. I really had a great time. I have to say, Hamza, I think this was one of my favorite podcast episodes I've ever been a part of. Oh, man, I'm honored. It's because of you. Truly, like, first of all, I cannot wait to see how you build this show and this platform because <laughs> the world needs your voice. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. It's truly an honor. And I hope you know, Hamza, that like the entire purpose of why I get out of bed every day and create these conversations and try to build a unified world is because there are people like you who are showing me the value in it, right? Like it's no longer just this crazy idea in my head like hearing you say that you believe in the value of unity and bringing people together, like gives me every motivation to keep going. So thank you. Thank you for building this dream with me. And I, I hope this is our first real face-to-face -face conversation of many. <laughs> thank you so much. That was my conversation with Sophie Barron, who is the founder and CEO of The Conversationalist. I love this conversation from the beginning through the end. I had so much excitement talking to her. I don't know why. It's just, I guess, when you meet someone, and I'll be truly honest, I didn't think she was going to say yes to this podcast, given how busy of a person she is 
and just given like her stat or uh, do I want to say status, just like what she has done to help better not just local communities, but also national. This is kind of like one of those local national things. And I mean, she's a very courageous person. I mean, these are not, it's not easy to be able to have conversations with people that can sometimes, that that can sometimes offend you in a way, or that might test you as a person. So I, I think that she's someone that can definitely help people going forward. It takes patience, it takes time, but at the end of the day, this is what's needed to unify the world. And I'm so glad that I can say that Sophie Barron was a guest on my podcast. If you guys liked what you saw, feel free to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I mentioned this on in the introduction. Feel free to follow our podcast at the OMCG podcast for more information on guests, episode previews, and more. Thank you guys so much once again. And I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. So I hope you guys have a great week.